a crisis of faith. Why millennials are leaving religion and what's bringing them back. Here's your host, Brianna Bodley, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Jeff Sweden didn't really grow up going to church. Most of those kind of memories were made during family reunions when the whole group would go to non-denominational Christian services to support her great-grandmother. I remember going in groups of, you know, 50 and 60 people and filling the entire center of the church with our family. But at home, religion was something they saved mostly for holidays, reading classic stories on Christmas Eve and thanking God over their Thanksgiving feast. It was sort of a loose arrangement. It was never really formalized. Overall, the U.S. is still considered a Christian nation. But between 2007 and 2014, the Pew Forum reports Christianity dropped sharply from 78 percent of Americans to just 70 percent. Sweden says she saw the same trend in her family, losing the desire for religion a little more with every generation. But she was different. In fact, when she was about eight years old, she marched up to her mom and said, I want to go to church. I asked my mom if she wanted to go, and she kind of said, well, maybe sometimes. And I said, okay. And then it just never seemed like the right day or the right time, and I just asked if I could go, and she said, okay. And so I walked to church by myself when I was in third grade. She was drawn in by testimonies about inspiration, promptings, and comfort from God. As she grew older, Sweeten tells me she wanted a story of her own. I was really looking for something that would make me feel more full, you know, worthy of love and able to love. And the more I heard at church, the more I wanted to know about this, you know, personal relationship with God that people talked about. I wanted to know what that felt like. She dove in and made a list of things she needed to check off to be like the people around her and finally feel that connection with her almighty. When she hit seventh grade, Sweeten says her life was still a mess and she felt robbed. Got a lot of bad stuff going on and I just kept thinking, well, this isn't fair. It's not fair. I'm doing what you said to do, and it's not working. She read the Bible cover to cover that year and kept searching. By high school, Sweeten was in foster care and started to feel her search for God was futile. College rolled around and Sweeten decided she was done. I didn't so much reject church as it just sort of stopped being a habit. And when it stopped being a habit, I started to realize that I was okay with that. Sweeten's spiritual journey is far from unusual. Many young people leave religion in their teens and 20s. In fact, that same Pew study I talked about before found that only 41% of U.S. millennials find religion to be important in their lives right now compared to 53% of Generation Xers and 72% of the greatest generation. Ryan Irwin faced his own crisis of faith when he left for college. He grew up in a Latter-day Saint family in Brigham City, Utah. It was not only like a part of church and school, but it was just like home life, personal life, everything was, everyone was a Mormon pretty much. (laughs) But when he realized he was gay, it was the beginning of an end for Irwin as an LDS member. He'd served a mission, was active in his ward, but he had doubts and got to the point where he no longer knew how to balance his sexuality with the religion he was taught to believe. It's like, well, if I'm having these doubts and I'm this... Then it was kind of like, well, you got two strikes already. So after about a year, I went into my bishop's office. I'm done. And we talked for a good long time. And at the end, he's like, well, while I don't agree with your decision, I can tell you've put a lot of thought into it. Though he is still very close with his family, Erwin felt he had to leave his religion because his sexuality, a part of himself he couldn't give up, no longer meshed with the teachings he'd followed his entire life. A feeling of confinement or constriction in organized religion is a story 
I came across a lot while researching. I found Eamon Al-Rakabi in South Salt Lake. He was raised in a Muslim family and remembers confusion and frustration when he had to revolve every detail of his life around the religion. Those who follow Islam are expected to pray five times a day and can only eat food prepared in a special way. Al-Rakabi added that many of his family members were also in arranged marriages. As I grew older and I realized, like, this isn't... I don't know, not necessarily the lifestyle I want to live. This isn't the kind of relationship that I want to be in. This isn't like the food I want to eat, the people I want to talk to, the things that I want to do. Moving out after high school, Al-Rakabi abandoned the faith he was raised in. Without organized religion pointing his way, he says he finally felt like he could choose what direction his life went. I'm very happy. I make my own choices. I live my own life. I believe that I live a, a good life. I'm going to go, girl. Sweeten took the same stance for years, giving herself a break from the frustration of a life spent chasing God. Her attitude changed suddenly the day she found out her unborn son might not live past birth because of a rare heart condition. I knew I wanted him. I knew that for whatever reason, I was meant to have him. And when they told me that he was going to be sick with a fatal illness, I knew that I was going to have to carry that pregnancy. And I knew that I was going to have to have a child who might suffer. And I was going to have to, I was going to have to do it anyway. She dived into the research. What did this mean? What was their future? What could go wrong and what could go right? And of course, the big, heavy question, did she do something to cause this? Thankfully, the answer was no. The baby's condition was a play of genetics. I sort of had this opportunity to choose to accept what was happening, because that's the only way I would survive it, and choose to be angry and to feel guilty and to be overcome with sadness every day and it was weird it was kind of like realizing that I didn't control that situation I didn't cause it and I couldn't fix it was life-changing for me. Sweeten says coming to that rational conclusion also brought spiritual understanding. She had to trust that this was happening for a reason, even if she couldn't understand why. It was her moment, the most profound spiritual experience she's ever had, and a confirmation of God. And that was probably the first time in my life when I really felt like I was comfortable with my relationship with God. Each one of these stories come from real people living right here in Utah. Each one of them is still searching for what they believe. Irwin says he's on a religious journey, trying out different churches, along with various groups that rely more on service instead of organized religion. And Jess Sweeten says she's happy without organized religion. Similar to some of the other stories shared this hour, she's found contentment in personal spirituality. Coming up on KSL News Radio, we'll peek into a couple of stories from Utahns who made the opposite journey, finding strength in their religion despite major obstacles. We'll also take a look at exactly how many people have left their faith, from Utah to the rest of the world, and what religious leaders are doing about it. A crisis of faith. You're listening to General Conference Saturday, and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back. I'm Brianna Bodily. As I investigated why millennials are leaving religion, I wanted to understand why others are coming back. April Ashland is one of the first I spoke with in my search for answers. She was adopted at the age of five. Her mother told her a few years ago about their first meeting. They ate pizza together, and afterwards, when they were in the bathroom cleaning up, her mother says Ashland raised her tiny green eyes and said, I don't know why I wasn't born in my family. 
but I'm here now and that's what matters. And that decided it for the family. Ashlyn was raised with parents who loved every inch of her, even as she struggled with behavioral issues from her life before the adoption. I ended up where I was supposed to be, with the most kind and loving family. There just wasn't a lot of God there. Ashlyn grew up in Spanish Fork and made Elia's friends. They brought her to activities, to church, and in her teen years, she wanted to get baptized. Her parents, especially her mother, wouldn't agree. That turned out to be for the best because as she started to learn more about some of the teachings in the church, Ashlyn couldn't agree. She became angry and looked for a new faith to follow. I started getting out books about other religions. I was pagan for a while, got really into that, you know, power around all of us. But it wasn't quite what I was looking for. There wasn't that support that I'd wanted. Jewish rabbi Benny Zippel says he sees a lot of teens lose their faith. It's a time of many questions and doubts and pressure to know it all. He says often it takes a crisis to bring those teens back. Basically something that really hits them to the core. Natalie Good found that crisis about eight years ago. She was raised in an LDS family but was pretty passive about her faith. She finally decided it was time for her to know if she had a testimony. She read the Book of Mormon, studied the doctrine, and prayed. It was very much just warmth and love, and I just knew that my Heavenly Father loved me and knew me, and that was honestly enough for me. Then, the bombshell. Right after finding that testimony, Good's sister came out as gay, and acting on homosexual feelings is seen as a sin in the LDS Church. She says she felt a rush of love for her sister, then confusion, asking herself, why is it wrong to support a sister she loves? And I think those questions are honestly good because if we don't question, we're not going to find those answers. Her answer? She didn't have to agree with her sister to love and support her. And she remained strong in her commitment to her faith and religion. Good's little sister went through the same crisis, but her reaction was to move away from religion completely. It's an interesting example of what we see throughout the state. According to Gallup's State of the States, Utah is highly polarized. In the nation, the state is third for highly religious populations, with about 54% who say they go to church at least once a week. Utah is 30th for non-religious at 30% of the state, and it comes in dead last for the number of people who are moderately religious. It brings a lot of social pressure to choose the right side, religious or not. The Reverend Canon Mary June Nestler with the Salt Lake City Episcopal Diocese says some of her fellow priests will actually remove their collars before heading out to run errands because it comes with a stigma. There's no question that when I wear my collar and I'm out in the world, I don't get the same kind of look I did 30 years ago. Canon Nestler says the change is largest with young people. We know it's a natural progression for young adults to leave faith communities and to return once they have children. But it's bigger than that now. The world has seen a sharp trend downward in self-described religious people, especially among millennials. Between 2007 and 2014, the Pew Forum found that Christianity lost a full 8% of followers in the U.S. Catholics lost about 3%. Protestants, nearly 5%. The LDS and Jewish communities seem to be doing something right because their numbers have remained relatively unchanged. But overall, people who don't identify as religious rose a full 3%. That may not sound like much until you realize that number represents about 3 million people. So what's going on here? Why are congregations shrinking? To find out, I went back to Utah's beginning. The Episcopal Cathedral on South Temple is the oldest church in the state. Weekdays, the pews are empty, and sunlight streams in through Tiffany stained glass windows that have survived both time and fire. In the back, an organist practices hymns. 
Canon Nessler preaches in the sacred place every once in a while, but her main duty is to the history of the church. She's a scholar and devoted to finding out what has changed in the millennial generation to drive them from organized religion. Her theory? Society is changing faster than ever, and religion just can't keep up. Worship always changes. What worked in the 19th century won't work in the 21st. And what it's going to take is some flexibility on the part of people of my generations. Rabbi Zippo blames the sudden drop on a lack of outreach from religious leaders. People tend to not engage because they don't feel welcome and loved by their religious leaders. He works from the Chabad Lubavitch Community Center of Utah in Salt Lake, but often makes trips from Tremont and all the way down to Cedar City to make sure his congregation knows he cares enough to come to them. Meanwhile, Canon Nessler argues the drop is less about the leaders and more about the service. She mentioned a religious prayer service in California that is held at night and encourages attendees to wear pajamas and bring pillows as they lay the day to rest. What I've observed that millennials want is opportunity to serve. They also want opportunity to worship, but it's not going to be worship in traditional ways. For Ashland, it took hospitalization. While at college, she began struggling with anxiety and depression. She skipped classes and self-medicated with alcohol. At one point, she woke up in the hospital with a blood alcohol level of 0.36. Just a little more, and doctors say she could have put herself into a coma. I shouldn't have survived. I should not be here today. That experience was enough to send her running back to a religion she thought she hated, searching for answers, needing help to overcome trials she couldn't face on her own. She says she still has questions, plenty of them. But in the months after that hospitalization, Ashlyn says she found both God and a testimony. I have mental health problems. Even though I don't understand why my head doesn't always connect, there's someone who does. I guess the biggest thing, the reason that I stick around, because I know I have someone I can rely on and someone who can tell me how to fix my crazy. And even though... I don't have the stereotypical Utah Mormon outlook or background. I still connect, and I think the church needs voices that aren't stereotypical. Coming up on KSL News Radio, I speak with experts about what they think is turning young people away from religion and whether or not they expect to see a turnaround. crisis of faith. Why millennials are leaving religion and what's bringing them back. Here's your host Brianna Bodley on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. We turn now to experts on religion, the men and women who work every day trying to understand trends just like this one. I track down opinions from all over the globe. There are plenty and they're constantly debated. University of Utah professor Brandon Peterson explains, we've seen this slow trend for more than a 100 years, and you can find speculation leaking in everywhere from scholarly articles to your favorite media. And you even see it in newspapers and on, on TV is that uh, you have different people from science and religion that are sort of pitted against one another, and that there's this sort of inevitable battle between scientific ways of thinking and religious ways of thinking, and as the, the world marches forward that religion is going to succumb to science. We met at the downtown library in a coffee shop. As Peterson explained some of the more popular theories, like science versus faith, people bustled around us. He introduced me to the works of an author, Charles Taylor, who's somewhat of an expert on modern-day secularism and the idea that religion has actually been losing favor since the Age of Enlightenment about 300 years ago. Peterson says at the time, 
people saw leaders abusing their control and power and began to rebel. Ideas that we today value a whole lot, the dignity of the individual human person, um, the autonomy of reason, asking critical questions, you know, these were ideas that were sort of proposed in the wake of a lot of control and uh, abusive sort of power. At that time, people believed in what religious scholars call a god of the gaps. Science and logic in the masses were still uncommon, so people blamed everything they didn't understand on their god. Where did the world come from? Why is there something rather than nothing? Oh, well, we don't know, so it must be god. Or why, why do creatures look like they're designed? Whenever there's a sort of question that can't be answered, um, this God goes to fill in the gaps. But as people grow more and more confident with their own answers, Peterson says maybe they decide they don't need God anymore. As I look at this data, another interesting point surfaces. It's obvious the polls show religious identity is not as popular, but God still is. On the one hand, you have this rise of people who are not religiously affiliated. It's a pretty startling rise. You know, you see it uh, just in the last 10, 20 years. It's, it's increasing quite a bit. But what's interesting is if you look at their similar numbers um, for the growth of, of atheism, of those who wouldn't believe in any sort of higher power, that those don't track with those numbers. In fact, both atheism and agnosticism have barely budged. But the nuns, or the no affiliation, have been rising rapidly. Between 2007 and 2014, they gained about 4% of the U.S. population. Many of the people I interviewed for the story identified this way, and Peterson says it matches his experience. I see among a number of my students that I talk with, both when I taught as a grad student at Notre Dame and when I teach here at, at the U, people who describe themselves as, as spiritual, but, uh, but yeah, not religiously affiliated, that they don't want to be part of some, some institution. They believe in some sort of a higher power, but they're going to find that outside of the bounds and constrictions of, of a particular institution or rituals. Why? William James, a famous psychologist in the early 1900s, argued that religion has two dimensions, spirituality and institution. He didn't think they could exist together, writing that religious organizations actually stifle spirituality. And so when we read James, um, I, I always have students that that feel like, wow, this is this is written in 1900? You know, this sounds really like my own sort of spiritual journey. I mean, these are some of the remarks that I, I get from students, but there are always students who, for whom this doesn't sit really well um, either and who, who push back on this. Much of the downward trend in religion can be seen in the wealthier countries of the world, like the U.S. Looking at Pew data from 2015, among the most religious are the poorest countries, like Ethiopia and Uganda, with almost 100% religious population. The wealthiest countries are all among the least religious. In the lead are Germany, Australia, and Canada, with only about 20% of their country calling themselves religious. That's led some scholars to guess the downward trend is linked to wealth, but there are problems with the idea, notable exceptions. Vietnam, for example, is among the poorest nations in the world, but has the same religious population as Canada, which is on the other end of the wealth spectrum. The people I interviewed for the story also had ideas, and the interesting thing is, every single one of them was different. Eamon, Oliver Cobby's argument, closely matched James' theory. He argued that millennials need more freedom as they pursue spirituality, and religion is just too confining, especially if everyone you know is a follower. It starts to cloud your vision, just like I think anything can, whether it be a toxic relationship, whether it be anything. It, it starts to cloud your vision and you see things, maybe not differently, but the way other people would want you to see them. Others blame the changing world for the drop in religious attendance. Ryan Irwin argued that technology answers just about all questions, and the world has no reason to extend trust or faith to a being that demands so much in return.
we don't have to question and wonder why about a lot of things because we can know instantaneously. And for most religions to be successful is you have to operate on a sense of faith of something that you can't see. And so most, like with most religions, there's church leaders with children or there's uh, like financial questions. There's every religion has had some sort of checkered past. And so where you can go, I can still gain a sense of spirituality without having to deal with an organization that has, you know, a, a colored or checkered or different past. Jess Sweeten agrees technology plays a role, but instead believes it creates more of a distraction instead of a faith gap. We emphasize sort of our ability to acquire evidence of success to an extent that maybe wasn't seen before. You know, we're acquiring more stuff. Requiring more skills, more abilities, more education. She adds that religion is no longer a social obligation, it's a choice. You know, previous generations, religion, church, they really literally were at the center of the culture. They were at the center of government. They were at the center of leadership. And now it's sort of optional. April Ashland guesses it's because of the age millennials are in right now. The world is tumultuous and it's hard to ignore the natural disasters piled on violent attacks and threats from world powers. Those in power sometimes haven't done what's right by their country and their world. And I think that leads to general apathy amongst our people specifically. And finally, Natalie Good worries that too often those abuses of power have been on the side of religion. She worries that too many now identify religions with mistakes made in weak moments. Just like my interviews, the thoughts online and in religious circles vary widely, but one man disagrees with them all. His name is Rodney Stark. He's a sociologist with the Baylor Institute of Religion and argues that religion isn't in decline at all. Instead, he says the Pew Research is bad data because only about 11% of the people they poll are willing to give answers. These polls are meaningless. <laughs> I mean, it's close to standing on the street corner asking whoever walks by. These are no longer scientifically uh, random random samples of the population. Even Pew addresses the issue on their website, admitting that with such a low response rate, bias might creep in. However, their survey results match closely with others, like the General Social Survey, which reports nearly a 70% response rate. Peterson also backs up those surveys, polling on his own experience. They reflect trends that, that I'm seeing among young people today, so I, I think those are right, but I think a lot of it's just the, the, the consequences of what a lot of these historical movements have had in the past. Um, I think it takes a long time for these things, the effects of these things to be felt. Stark doesn't believe religion is in trouble, and actually, neither does Peterson. Wherever the U.S. and the world is right now, both agree it will rise from here. The birth rate in all of the European countries is well below replacement. That is to say they are not having enough kids to replace the people who are dying. But that's not true across the board. Church-going Europeans are having more kids than necessary for replacement. And the basic estimate is in about four generations, Europe's going to be a bunch of churchgoers because they're the only ones who had kids. You're going to take these prognostications about the future seriously. It doesn't look like it's going to be dying anytime soon. It's clear religion is a difficult topic, whether or not you claim to be religious. There is plenty to argue about. But every single person I spoke with while pursuing these answers agreed on one thing. We'll talk about that coming up after this break. A crisis of faith. You're listening to General Conference Saturday, and this is KSL News Radio. 
In the last hour, we've covered the board, investigating studies that point to declining numbers in religion, especially among the millennial generation. I brought in religious leaders to discuss their concerns and ideas about the trend. Stories from Utahns across the state who have converted to religion or discarded their faith. Speaking with all of these people, a few things stood out to me. Religion isn't a passive choice, and it often isn't one that stays private, especially in a state as polarized as Utah. April Ashland told her conversion story earlier, but it didn't end with her baptism. My biggest regret, I guess, in this was that I did not tell my family. That was not something that I wanted to do because my family are really incredible people. I'm pretty sure there are two people in my life so far that have made the biggest impact on me, and they are my mom and my savior. My mom's view of the church, while we had a lot of LDS friends, her view of the church was much more negative. It was, they don't like gay people, they don't like women. It was all those negative, stereotypical things. So I did not tell them. But I just didn't want them to be disappointed in me. And she struggled, going back and forth on her decision to get baptized. It took more than a year before Ashlyn was confident in her place within the LDS church and ready to tell her parents. They accepted it, but there have been obstacles, like when she got married in a temple they couldn't enter. You know, my my mom especially was very hurt that she would not be, air quotes, worthy to come to my wedding. And she said, if anyone is more worthy than I am, they're lying. Because she's my mom. And, I mean, she saved me, but but it wasn't an option. Ashlyn says her conversion has been one of her hardest decisions and will continue to be so, but it's still worth it. You know, I feel like conversion is a process, and it's also something that takes real effort. I have questions about the gospel, which are so good. Jesus and I are going to have a great talk when I get upstairs. And I understand that religion doesn't work for everyone. I I get that. For me, there is no other option because yes, there have been heartaches and yes, it's been hard, but it's worth it because I have someone who understands me no matter what, no matter how tired and grumpy I am, no matter how happy I am, no matter how crazy I am, I have someone who understands me and that person is my savior. I guess I don't know how I would do it any other way. It's that same divine relationship that Jess Sweetencraig, the little girl who tried so many religions in an attempt to find a personal connection to God, and finally found it when she stopped trying to use religion as her medium. Spending my life sort of seeking a God that other people had defined for me didn't work for me. It didn't feel authentic. I'm not really sure where to go from here, but I continue to believe that God exists, that God is good. You know, I'm not a religious person. You probably won't find a person who believes more firmly in the existence of God than I do. There is no easy answer to the question, why is religion declining? Everyone knows a story. Everyone has an opinion because everyone is different. Living in the United States of America, we do have the choice to practice or not practice whatever faith we want. I spent hours talking to people who made that choice. They come from different states and countries. They're different ethnicities and genders. They all come from very different homes. And somehow, without any guidance from me, they all wanted to pass along the same message. Religious or not, we all deserve respect and we all need love. From my point of view, it's how you treat others, how you are capable to help others. I believe that everyone should be treated the same, equally. We're not all the same, but we should be treated with kindness and compassion. I don't think religion is problematic as long as religion is is centered around love. It's centered around good. 
when it brings people together for purposes higher than ourselves, I'm all for it. I support it. I respect it. I admire it. I think the most important thing for people to realize is that we are all broken. We're all struggling with things. People who have decided to leave the LDS Church or people who have decided to leave religion in general, they're still people, they're still humans, and we still need to love them. We need voices of kindness and compassion and acceptance. The biggest thing that I, I try to just want people is whatever you are, be a good one. If you missed any of this program and you'd like to catch up, you can hear it again on the KSL News Radio app or on our website under the podcast Conference Conversations.